Hello, my name is Bailey Alexander, and generally Francis, my partner, and I discuss cultural realities, or general elections here in Europe, or cultural dissonance. But every once in a while, I pick up my book and read part of a chapter, a little slice of a former life. And if you're like me, sometimes you like to be read to. And so today, I'm going to read to you from my book called A European Odyssey, How a Boxer's Daughter Found Grace. Some people thought it read like a detective story, as I was living out a pretty nomadic existence, forever in search of a home, or so it seemed, a perpetual type of treasure hunt. So if you like reading detective novels, you'll probably like my book. Or if you miss travel, my book is definitely for you. I take you to some of the prettiest places, like the middle of the Med, and Paris, and Prague, where you're invited to a lot of parties, or Rome, which will always be my favorite place. Rome, aptly named the Eternal City. Whenever I go back, I still can't believe I'm there. In fact, I couldn't believe we lived there for three years. The idea always seemed kind of slightly beyond my imagination, I think. Of course, I'm from Seattle, a very young city, so perhaps I can be forgiven for feeling this way. And I also take the reader to dark places like Auschwitz, as you experience my pathological grief with me. Life is not without its ups and downs. So here we sit today in between two ballots, in between two election days in France, we did a podcast about the first, and we will do a pod about the second. But in between, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read to you about life in Paris, the city of distractions. It was three years of a very, very social existence. Paris is so frenetic, everyone wanting to get together and compare notes on their experience of living in Les Lumières. First, I'll read a couple of paragraphs mm -hmm. to get us in the mood. Two seasons before we plunge into the social season. When summer hit the streets... Protocol took an exit. Paris was no longer tidy. Instead, she became informal and messy, especially on June 21st, the longest day of the year, when summer solstice inspired musicians and singers and electric guitars to occupy every single corner of the inner city from late afternoon to well past midnight. The noise was deafening, so sleep was out of the question, and you just had to get into the swing of things. Along the Seine, they spread their blankets underneath their picnic baskets as people congregated everywhere, and everyone danced with strangers along the river, beneath the boundless blue sky. By the time autumn came around, I found I had a new rhythm. I'd forgotten how much fun it was to be busy, going to the ballet regularly at the prettiest opera house at Palais Garnier, or taking a short trip across the river to the 4th arrondissement to the Marais for opera at the Bastille, but the Comédie Française was both special and educational. I kept attending the same Molière plays, hoping it might improve my basic French. It never really did. Yet long before curtain time, I positioned myself outside at Place de Colette, eating salade niçoise, like a typical tourist hoping to catch a glimpse of the handsome actors that hung out there before work. Paris made everyone feel sexy. A couple of paragraphs, and then um, I end with, and one of the major benefits of living in the city of lights was the sheer diversity of humanity swimming throughout, and that leads us to the uh, to the little chapter I'm going to read to you. It's called Jim the Priest and Monsieur D. One week in particular illustrated this idea perfectly. On Monday, I hosted a lunch for an Irish American priest traveling far away from his black parish in Chicago, collarless and compassionate. Jim had just finished a year-long sabbatical at the Vatican. I was grateful to spend an afternoon together, because I was still in reactionary mode against the evangelicals gaining political and cultural power in the States, 
This lunch stretched out for hours, and the conversation was fun and feisty. We both felt right at home. I listened as he volleyed back and forth between the brutal politics behind the archdiocese in Chicago. He shared the texture of his life as a white pastor in a black parish. His recent sabbatical made the kind of impact that will last a lifetime. The politics were so subtle, yet more potent than anywhere else. It was an intense discussion, and I could say whatever I wanted. The following Thursday, I was invited to live another kind of life, at the home of Monsieur D., to peek inside the life of a 19th-century Frenchman. Monsieur D. was older, terrifically elegant, and reserved. He had to be the son of an industrialist. My outfit was chosen with care. My closet had filled up with the Samiaki, thanks to the annual sale at the flagship store, located at Place de Vosges. This was a key Parisian event, because Miyaki's creations became affordable, if only for a few short hours. The French enjoyed a keen relationship with all things Japanese, and Parisians descend on the piles of accordion-like material with gusto, giving me less than twenty precious minutes to successfully locate my own treasures each year. However, a Samiaki didn't suit this invitation. Staying classic was critical. Buried in the back of my closet sat a pink and navy Chanel knockoff. Muff had bought it at a non-profit event in Seattle, and probably knew I might need it in Paris. My friend greeted me with approval, and we made our way to Monsieur D's penthouse, nestled in the Bois de Boulogne, a wealthy and leafy suburb of Nuit. His building boasted the most fantastic example of art deco I'd ever seen. I'd been inside a penthouse in Manhattan, full of originals lining the walls, but this was an elevated sort of affair. In the past, I'd been served by a maid in Rome, but Monsieur D's maid was a woman without age, as if born to wear that black and white uniform. The white cotton headpiece was glued to her dark hair, perfectly smooth, nothing out of place. The entire room felt dutiful, crisp, and completely contained. She came out of nowhere with great frequency, always on cue, enhancing the formality. At one point I stole a glance beneath the ornate table, full of glass and gilded edges. I caught my host pressing down on an elevated portion of the creamy carpet with his beige suede leather shoes. So that was the secret behind the maid's perfect timing. The luncheon stood in stark contrast to the one with the American pastor. Here, Monsieur D. dictated the behavior, followed by a long pause, before starting the same subject over and over again, the aesthetics of art. I doubt he'd ever worked a day in his life. His time was devoted to architecture and fine art. The attitude and ambiance was subdued, like the slate-blue fabric lining the walls. He showed me a comprehensive collection of jade from Asia, and sculptures and installations from Egypt, every item over 2,000 years old. We moved to the library for an aperitif, and my host asked, Would you prefer Handel or Mozart? When my café macchiato was finished, he asked, Would you like to take a stroll in the garden? We took a little waltz around the top of the building, every scene on a Paris postcard on full display. Then I was led back downstairs to the main salon and show the art on his walls. And more walls, many pieces hanging without something as tedious as a frame. My host had the eye of an artist and the mind of a collector, and I quickly realized why Monsieur D. was aggressively courted by both the Louvre and Musée d'Orsay. I was transported to another world, but not without modern gadgets. Each time he pushed a button, another wall slid away without a sound, revealing more treasures beneath. When my host decided I had had enough, which I had not, the art disappeared. My view was full of the Bois de Boulogne. 
In one week my social life was filled by James the priest, authentic, intent on enriching the soul in the only way he knew how. The next by Monsieur D, dignified, an effete esthete, who had lived to enhance sensual pleasure through social etiquette and exquisite art. If one's man leaned towards the spiritual, the other towards the materialistic, both missions were fulfilled adroitly. And there you go. Life in Paris. It was absolutely fantastic. So listen, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to the book. It's on Audible as well as paperback. And please check out my website, baileyalexander.com, for my little films, little essays, podcasts, and newsy bits about my next book, Once Upon a Time in Lowit Zolo, which will be both in English and in Italian, which is part of the reason it's taking so long, a rather complicated project, but it certainly will be worth the wait. So hey, thanks so much for listening, and arrivederci.